Let us pray. Lord, you have called us not to sit and stay, but to go and tell. And so we pray that when we think about seeker-targeted ministry, we think more about us who are sent to seek. Empower us through the presence of the Spirit to do the work that you've entrusted us with. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever heard of the matrinka fish? The matrinka fish. Uh, It has an unusual habit. I'm going to tell you, first of all, these are not matrinka. This picture was taken in rivers up in Illinois. Uh, But I didn't have a good picture of the matrinka fish, so I had to use this, but they do the same thing, okay? Uh, When these fish get startled, they jump out of the water kind of like a dolphin. And they do this to avoid predators or anything else that scares them. And what happens, however, if there's a boat nearby, they actually jump out of the water and land in the boat. And so fishermen have taken to going out into the rivers at night, shining lights in the water and making noise, and the fish get scared, and they start jumping in the boat. Now, it's a, it's a rather unique way to fish, to say the least. Uh, you just take a boat out in the water and wait for them to jump in. Uh, it beats spending the morning cutting bait, I suppose. Now, going down the Amazon River a number of years ago on a mission trip, I, I saw this happening. I saw these matrinka fish that were just because the boat was going down, whatever, they would start jumping out of the water. And a few of them landed in the boat that we were taking down the Amazon. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, this is how some churches want to do ministry. I mean, Jesus calls us to be fishers of men, but sometimes our strategy is just to sit there and do nothing and hope people come along and just jump into our boat. Now, you see this next picture. Most of you remember one of my favorite movies, The Field of Dreams. And maybe you remember this quote from The Field of Dreams, If you build it, he will come. If you build it, he will come. Now, many churches have tried this approach as well. They think if they put up a really nice-looking church building, people are going to just flock to it. Or they put up an ad in the newspaper, or they put some cutesy sign out on their church sign in front, or they, they run a direct mail campaign, and they just figure that when people see this, they will automatically just flock to church. Now, i got to tell you, these things all work uh, a little bit some of the time. And there's nothing wrong with using direct mail. There's nothing wrong with putting something out on the signboard. Nothing wrong with putting an ad in the newspaper. But the mission of the church was never meant to be, let's drop anchor here and wait for people to jump into the boat. Now, the last words of Jesus spoken to his disciples were a challenge for them to go out among the people and engage themselves with the culture in order to be an influence for change. Many of you remember those last words from Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Accent on the word what? Go. Go. Not sit here. Go. And one of my other favorite Great Commission passages from Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now I could stop there and say, when did the Holy Spirit come on you? Well, if you are a Lutheran Christian, it happened at the point of baptism. If you came to faith later, that's when the Holy Spirit came on you. It said, and then you will be my witnesses. No choice. 
I mean, you can't just say, well, I got the Holy Spirit, but I'm not going anywhere. No, it says, you will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Our calling, very simply, is to go. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did in his entire ministry, traveling all over the known world at that time, going from place to place, where he sometimes stayed a few days, sometimes a few weeks, sometimes a few months, Sometimes several years when he was there, he would plant churches, he would win some converts, he would train some leaders, and then it was time for him to move on, and so he moved on. The only thing that ever slowed Paul down was called what? Prison. And actually, while he was in prison, he wrote almost one-third of the New Testament. So we can say that Paul really never stopped going. And even though our calling may not be to travel the whole world, I mean, you may not be going down a boat on the Amazon like I've done or preach to uh, thousands of people in Nigeria or go put up a building in Cuba or or, or head to a Spanish-speaking country like Clara did or wherever, but it doesn't make any difference. Just like Paul was called to go, every last one of us here is called to go as well. Now, the question is, go where? Answer, anywhere. Now, at my previous church, we had a sign that was above the door that you could not miss when you exited. It looked like this. Right above the door as you walked out, it said, you are now entering the mission field. I've been to some churches. In fact, I think our Savior's in Sulphur Springs, Texas. When you drive out of their parking lot, they have a sign that says, you are now entering the mission field. See, that's all about how a church, or this church, can change the world. Um, this series is called Mission Possible. I mean, our responsibility begins right here as we get trained, but then it happens out in our community. It extends to wherever we have the opportunity to make a difference. Now, back in the 1980s, when I first started my pastoral ministry, uh, I was greatly influenced by two pastors, uh, Bill Hybels and Rick Warren. And they started using a term that was very popular in the middle 1980s. It was called seeker-targeted ministry. And they talked about building seeker-sensitive churches or seeker-targeted churches or a seeker-driven church. And that phrase became a buzzword in ministry. It helped sell a lot of seats at a lot of conferences. It sold a lot of books. But like all buzzwords, it kind of peaked and then finally dropped out of popularity. But the idea was, if you implemented seeker-targeted ministry, that there were millions of people out there who were seeking God, which, by the way, isn't the way it really works. I mean, it's God who seeks them. God is the hound of heaven. But it's like there's a lot of people out there that are really looking for God. Uh, Most of them, they said, were baby boomer types that were not really interested in the spiritual things as they were put together by their parents who grew up in the 1930s and 40s and 50s. Uh, They were tired of the liturgy of the church. They were tired of the hymns. And so what you're going to do is you're going to build these wonderful, beautiful new places that didn't really look much like churches, but featured contemporary worship services with music that the boomers could relate to. Uh, You would have dramas that would... Uh, touch their hearts and sermons that would be very practical, sermons that would be very uplifting. 
and they would come and they'd learn about God. In other words, if you build it, if you will drop your anchor, fish will suddenly start jumping into your church. This strategy, by the way, worked to a certain extent for a period of time, but it didn't work the way it was supposed to. In fact, a few years ago, Bill Heibel said, while we attracted a lot of people who hadn't been to church for a while, we didn't do anything to make them fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. Many of them just often swam off to where they came from or swam to other churches. Now, it'll never be okay for us to be a come-and-see church. We need to be a go-and-tell church. Now, today I want to talk about three things we need to do to be a mission-possible ministry. And that means to be a seeker-targeted ministry, or is really in the biblical sense of the word. Our model really is Paul. And it's Paul and his companions, Timothy, Silas, and Luke. Now, as you read your New Testament, and you should, you know that Paul was on at least three different missionary journeys. This map shows you his second missionary journey. It's a kind of a circular route of about a couple of thousand miles. It begins and ends in Jerusalem. It's got several stops kind of all along the way, and over the course of about three years. Now, if you can see where this all is, you can see where they start, and you could probably find it all the way up to where he stops in Philippi. It's about the most northern place up in Macedonia. And Jimmy, I apologize for giving you all those words this morning, like Samothrace and Macedonia and all of that. Uh, but you can count yourself lucky you're not reading Acts 2 that I've assigned to Sue Swink in a couple of weeks. That's got some really great words in it. So they're in Philippi. And so this is where this story sets. Philippi, which is where we get the book in the New Testament called what? Philippians. And in this story are three principles of what I would call seeker-targeted, mission-possible, go-and-tell ministry that you and I can adopt as a way of doing church. We're going to take a look at those. And here's the very first thing, and that's that we need to go where the people are. You know, we just don't wait for them to jump in the boat. And I'm afraid that's what a lot of churches do. They just kind of hope people will show up. I mean, why don't more people show up? we got a nice church. Why don't they just, I mean, they just drive by here all the time. Why don't they stop? Well, you know, we really need to aggressively seek opportunities to connect with people. And one of the most telling parts of his strategies in verses 6 and 7, it said they wanted to go to Asia... But the Spirit didn't open that door. So they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit didn't open that door. Now, did they say, man, this is a bust, let's go home. No, they said, no, let's keep going. So they went to a city called Troas. And at that point, when they got to Troas, lo and behold, Paul gets a vision, and the vision tells him to go to Macedonia, and so they went. Now, here's the telling part of this. They did not wait for a specific vision to go. They didn't just kind of sit there and say, Okay, Lord, uh, I'm going to wait for you to tell me where to go. They went and let the doors open and close wherever they may. We can't get into Asia? Okay, let's go someplace else. We can't get into Bithynia? Okay, we'll go someplace else. We'll keep trying until there's a door open somewhere. Now, like many churches... A lot of churches do this. 
we sometimes spend uh, months and months and months pursuing projects that sometimes just don't pan out. They just don't work. But you know, when one door closes, what do we do? We don't just say, that didn't work, we quit. We, uh, we try another one. We keep seeking God's guidance, and who's God, God is always faithful to lead us where he wants us to go. Now, I believe that Paul got the word to go to Macedonia because he was already on the move. He was already out on the road. And God uses people like that uh, who are seeking to be used. I'm going to read again a few verses here from verses 11 to 13. It says, From Troas we put out the sea, sailed straight for Samothrace, and on the next day to Neapolis. And that's not Minneapolis, that's Neapolis. Uh, from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now, you might ask yourself, why didn't they go to the synagogue? Why did they go outside the river? And why did they expect people to be praying down by the riverside? Well, understand that Philippi was a Roman colony. Because they're a Roman colony, the Romans had a restriction against anybody practicing an unrecognized religion within the city walls, within the city limits. There was no synagogue, therefore, in Philippi. And so people who were interested in spiritual things gathered outside the city limits to pray. Now, if you were here last week, you may remember we talked about Cornelius. Cornelius, who was a very devout Gentile. He believed in God, he just didn't practice Judaism. Peter visited that Gentile's house and told him, you don't need to become Jewish to be right with God, you only need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So Paul and his team got to this Gentile city, and they fully expected to find people just like Cornelius, probably down near the river where people gathered. So they go to the river outside of Philippi, They were going to find people who knew God, but were not part of an organized, authorized religion. And I don't know if you know this, but there are an awful lot of people like that in our culture today. There are a lot of people like that in Texarkana. They believe in God, but they are not part of any organized church or any organized religion and they don't really fully understand where Jesus fits into this whole God thing. But they're not going to just show up off the street and jump in the boat just like this very often. You've got to go and find them someplace. And some of them you go to school with. Some of them you work with. Some of them are your neighbors. You know, these are the people that they call unchurched Christians today. I mean, you all know any unchurched Christians? I mean, they believe in God. They even pray. Uh, many of them even believe to some extent about Jesus. But they have not made any sort of life-changing uh, lordship connection with Jesus. And they know about Jesus, but Jesus is not yet their, their Lord. They're interested. We could call them seekers. You can call them tire kickers. Uh, but they're not fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. Paul and his team went to where these people were. He sought them out because 
He wanted to talk to these people who knew about God and tell them about Jesus. Now, I'd ask you this question. Where can we find people that we can help in this community? Where can we go to tell people the message of Jesus Christ in our community? Where can we go where we would have the opportunity to really make a difference in somebody else's life? See, it's our job to seek out the seekers. We literally need to become little heat-seeking missiles. It's our job to seek people who not only need us, but more importantly, who need the message that we have to share. And finding them sometimes involves, oh, two or three or four different things, but the idea is you just keep on doing it until you hit the target. I think about... uh, you know, having, when I travel, you know, that pray that God would put an unbeliever in the seat next to me on an airplane. Um, in spite of the fact that I just didn't take a lot of Dramamine and have, have nobody bother me. Uh, you know, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, I've had some wonderful conversations with people who, who know a little, about, a little bit about God, and I was able to tell them a little bit more about Jesus. Uh, I sat next to a guy who had his Bible open and was reading, and I, so I said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, oh, you're trying to pull that Philip and the Ethiopian trick on me. Turns out he was a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Well, we had a wonderful conversation, too. I thought about uh, talking to this black gentleman about Jesus until I found out his name was Bishop T.D. Jakes, who pastors one of the largest churches in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I had a wonderful conversation with him. Uh, I, I was gonna, When I told a guy that I was a pastor... And uh, he, he just kind of snapped his Nation of Islam newspaper up back in front of me and snorted and went not to do it. But it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. See, we need to be a go-and-tell church. And sometimes it's kind of hard for us to do. We need to give serious and sober uh, consideration to the questions, what are we doing outside the four walls of this building to reach people who need to hear about Jesus. Here's the second thing. We need to target hearts and not demographics. Now, you remember last week we talked about breaking down barriers, and one of them is not one of us barrier. That's what Paul and his team did. They went to the river expecting to find a bunch of people praying. And what did they find when they got there? Verse 13, we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Uh Uh-oh. Women. In Judaism, in order to have a synagogue, in order to have a worshiping community, you had to have ten men present. Without that quorum of ten men, you could not hold public prayer services in Judaism. So when Paul got to Philippi, did he hunt for ten men? No. He didn't. He didn't go out and say, we need to find ten guys to get together so we can actually pray. He saw, when he went down the river, a bunch of women who were praying, and he began to talk to them about Jesus. He was far more interested in a group of people whose hearts were open to the gospel than he was in reaching a certain demographic, you know, Jewish men. Kind of an unfortunate development in our churches is sometimes that churches decide... We need to target this kind of people. 
I still remember when I was interviewed to come here. Somebody said, well, what are you going to do to help us reach all of the Lutherans in our community? I'll tell you what my answer was. I said, what do we want to reach them for? I'm kind of supposing they're already saved. How about finding some people who don't know who Jesus is? Okay. So Paul comes and he says, we can't be the kind of church for everybody. We know that. Uh, We can't appeal to every kind of person, but we never, ever want to say that certain kinds of people are not welcome within the walls of this church. See, being a mission possible go-and-tell church means we're not looking for people who fit the mold of church members in terms of age or income or race. We're just looking for people whose hearts are, I don't know, I like this word, whose hearts are desperate, whose hearts are desperate to experience God's grace and eager to connect with Jesus. Now, when Paul encountered these women praying at the river, he didn't pass them by and say, oh gosh, women, they're not the quote, right kind of people, he ignored two barriers, one of race, one of culture, actually the whole thing of gender. His target market was anybody who wanted to hear the gospel. That needs to be our target to anybody who wants to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. But here's number three. We need to focus on making new converts, not just attracting new members. You know, sometimes people say, well, what this church needs is more members. And what they're talking about is just more Christians who don't have a church. And have, not really thinking about converts. I was kind of intrigued talking, listening to my daughter uh, talk about church where she goes. The last couple of, I think they baptized over 120-some people, I don't know, in one, uh, just on a Sunday morning. I mean, that's, that's a lot of, you'd say maybe, I, I'm assuming people that are converted who are saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. I heard a story once about three churches. Uh, they got together and decided to sponsor a community-wide series of revival meetings. And after it was all over, the, the three pastors got together and talked about the results. The Baptist pastor said, you know, we did pretty good. We got six new families. The Presbyterian pastor said, you know, we did pretty good too. We got four new families. The Lutheran pastor said, I think we did best of all. We got rid of ten of our biggest troublemakers. (laughs) Now, a lot of times, that's what people view as kingdom growth. It's just one disgruntled person moving from one church to another church where they're still disgruntled. Uh, My second church, I think there were four or five LCMS churches in our town. I know people who belong to every last one of them. And we're on their second go-round. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. It's it's swapping fish between aquariums, or what I've often called sheep-shifting. We just kind of move the sheep from one pen to another pen. We need to be evangelistic. Not... If you have a co-worker who already goes to church and a co-worker who doesn't go to church, can you guess which one you ought to invite? I mean, we don't need to steal anybody from First Baptist. We don't need to steal anybody from the Nazarene church. I mean, God doesn't gain or lose in that process. One of the things I admire about Rick Warren and Bill Hybels 
I mentioned them before, is that both of their churches, Willow Creek up in Chicago and uh, Saddleback out in um, Mission Viejo, California, have been built winning converts and not necessarily transfers. In fact, the majority of the people who came to their churches had never been to a church before in their lives. And both of these churches still continue to be very big because they never stopped their mission of preaching the gospel to lost people, going out and trying to find lost people who maybe know a little bit about God but don't know who Jesus is. And that really needs to be our goal, to lead people to faith in Jesus, to help them become what I'd call fully devoted followers of Christ. In other words, disciples. And we have a lot of opportunities to do this, but we need to remember the goal of our service is not just to take care of people's physical needs. Our job is to take care of people's spiritual needs as well. And that means helping connect those people to Jesus. Here in the, in the text that Jimmy read before, it said, One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer of purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home, if you consider me a believer in the Lord. Notice how it went from God to the Lord. She said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. And again, we're talking cultural barriers here that Paul crossed, going into the home of a Gentile and a woman to boot, where they preached the gospel to a whole group of women. And when Lydia responded, what did they do? What do you do with any new convert? You baptize them. Go ye therefore and teach only baptizing them. That's how it goes. And then they stayed there. There's something about a go-and-tell church. We just don't go-and-tell and split. We go-and-tell and stay. When I preach down at Angola Prison, one of the things I enjoy a lot of times, the pastor will say, well, we got Dr. Kolb with us tonight. How do we know that he loves us? And all the guys in the church service will shout back, because he keeps coming back. Now, that's a good thing. You stick with it. We shouldn't be the kind of church that's attractive only to people who are already saved and go to church. We ought to be the kind of church that's determined to reach out to those people who have absolutely no connection to anyone in church, people who may feel like they actually kind of cut off uh, from organized religion, people who are desperate to know that God loves them and that God actually has a place for them. I bet that every last single one of us know somebody likes that in our community. We need to reach that person with the good news of the gospel. Our message is not, here we are, y'all come and join us. Our message is, there you are. How can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I tell you about Jesus? You know what that means? It means that we are the seekers. We're not waiting for fish to jump into the boat. We actually cast our nets into the water. You know, by my watch, in about 20 minutes, we're going to be done this morning. We'll have communion, we'll sing a closing song, and you all get up and chitter-chatter amongst yourself for a little while, and then you'll walk out that front door into the mission field. This week, I want to challenge you to be open to the opportunity of reaching out to someone. In fact, be more than open. Be active. Who cares if you get embarrassed a little bit? 
I mean, I, I, I've had that happen to me more than once. Okay. Okay. I can guarantee you that if you will be open and active, God will put a person in your path this week that is open to hearing about the love of Jesus. All you need to do is go and tell. After all, we're on a mission from God. Let's pray. Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, send us to go and tell. In Jesus' name, amen.